This episode of the Art of Coaching podcast is brought to you by Momentus. Momentus carries a line of NSF certified supplements designed for anyone who wants to get the most out of what they do. Whether you're a professional athlete, a recreational runner, or weekend warrior, everyone deserves to use high quality products to maximize their results. Art of Coaching listeners can save 25% by using code BRETT, that's B-R-E-T-T, 25, at livemomentous.com. This episode is also brought to you by Saga. Saga has the world's first wireless upper and lower limb blood flow restriction training cuffs. These cuffs intelligently calibrate to your optimal occlusion zone. That takes the guesswork out of all the calibration and helps you train smarter and more efficiently, not to mention safely, by leveraging the benefits of blood flow restriction. You can save 20% by using code BRETT20 at saga.fitness. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. guys, we're going to cut the fluff and call it like it is. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, you know there are some that feature interviews with subject matter experts, people that have written perhaps insightful research or a unique book on a given topic, and that inspires you and makes you ask all kinds of unique questions. There are others that are more narrative in format, and they have a lot of highly produced nuances to them, music and sound effects and what have you. And there's a staff of 15 to 20 people that work on them and and they're beautifully produced and they're very entertaining. And then there are others that feature guests who just like you are real people going through the mess of life, trying to figure out what the next best path is, trying to make sense of the voices in their heads that tells them, hey, this work isn't good enough or this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't be doing. People that are just trying to figure it out. And that's what we have for today's episode. We have a tremendous individual named Nikita Emsoff joining us. Somebody who survived a bombing from a terrorist at 10 years old. And him and his family ended up moving from Russia to Canada and had to assimilate to a lot of different aspects of that culture there. Nikita has sung opera, directed movies, acted on stage, dreamt up a wide variety of businesses, uh, and now works in both the fitness space and graphic design space while holding down a full-time job. And if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, what does he do? It sounds like he does a little bit of everything. You're absolutely right. He, like many people in the post-COVID world, has experimented and has also struggled with the voices of perfectionism. And that's why I think you guys are gonna love today 
because today is all about perfectionism. Nothing about this episode is well rehearsed. This was Nikita's first conversation on the air. And so imagine, imagine having a language barrier and this being the first episode you've ever done, but also sharing some elemental truths that I think a lot of you are gonna be able to relate to and make sense of in your own way. So I could not be more excited to bring you this conversation between me and my friend, Nikita Emsoff. Listen up, here we go. Hey, welcome back everybody to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here with Nikita Emsoff. Nikita, how are you, buddy? I'm good, how are you, Brett? I'm doing well. Listen, as is the case most times when we have conversations, the bio that we read off at the beginning doesn't always do justice to the individual we're having a conversation with. And just to frame all of you guys listening up, you know, today we're going to talk about a variety of things, both perfectionism, a little bit of storytelling, how the narratives of our lives can really keep us from doing certain things that we want to be able to do. And I've been fortunate enough to get to know Nikita over the past few years, somebody that it's, it's one thing when people say they're a perfectionist. It's another thing when we meet somebody that's truly on kind of a different cultural spectrum of that. And it's been enlightening because I deal with these things as well. Um, and, and I know that anytime Nikita, I've listened to podcasts that uh, have researchers or pop science kind of book writers that talk about these subjects, they give a lot of interesting facts about the situation, but not always about the person. And it's important to me that our audience gets to know you a little bit because they're going to see a lot of yourself in them and maybe we can help some people out. So if you wouldn't mind just going into a little bit of your, your cultural background, growing up in Russia, the standards that were placed on yourself at a young age, both you know, internally and externally, and and what that leads into what you do now as a day job and as a side project, and and some of your approach to life in general. I'd love to give them more insight on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so starting from you know, my upbringing and growing up in Russia, I think my uh, perfectionism and uh, troubles with that started back in uh, back in school when I was. Really, I really liked getting perfect grades uh, in school. I really liked that feeling of people admiring me for for that. Um, that I kind of uh, obsessed over that, and uh, that that has been an impediment to me throughout my life. Because uh, you know, on the one hand, getting the perfect grades seems like the perfect thing to get, right? If you get perfect grades in school, you end up you know going to good college or university, and then you end up getting the perfect job and earning lots of money and things like that. Um, so it didn't ever occur to me that maybe that's not the healthiest thing to do. It's almost like with, with exercise, you know, I've, I've posted that poll once in my, um, on my Instagram, like what's the health, uh, the healthiest thing out of the two is it, uh, a salad or a burger. And most people would say salad, obviously burgers is not the, is not the healthiest food in the world. But when we look at the larger um, uh, picture of that particular individual, you know, one particular individual, maybe they are so obsessed with eating healthy that um, it becomes an eating disorder for them. So maybe that salad may not be the most healthy thing for them to eat. Maybe they could do, they could, you know, they could live with eating a burger once in a while. And that was the same thing for me with, with the, uh, you know, being a student in school, 
like I could definitely get a not not the perfect grade and um I would be devastated whereas if somebody told me that hey that that's just that's just the part of life that's that's part of the journey you 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 fail uh, you learn from that and and you move on and that sets you up for the next journey as well that sets you up for things that you haven't learned that you haven't um got into on the on the first sort of track that you're you're going to learn the next time um but that wasn't the case for me um i i was really good at getting good grades and it's only later in life where where i started failing at things where i um started being uh, doubting sort of my uh, my path in life that i i got really for the lack of a better word uh, depressed um yeah i mean it's been a, it's been a journey for sure yeah and you know i i appreciate you going that deep and i think a lot of people can you know you mentioned these things start with wanting to get good grades and then it might start with some people wanting to let's say somebody plays baseball they want to pitch the perfect game or they want to have the uh, perfect resume and then they want to build the perfect life right we have this idea of what perfect is and and we struggle with that because you know you think about it, things being relative well, that's going to be the case with everybody, right? I know somebody who's 39, I'm 35 at the time recording this, and they've written three best-selling books. They have three kids, a massive platform. And I know, you know, we, we have built a lot of different things at Art of Coaching, and it, it seems like certain things never happen quickly enough in our life or that they don't unfold the way that we want. And it's easy to lose, lose track of kind of like, all right, well, here's the progress we made. You know, one thing I wanted to chat with you about as well, because you, you do describe yourself as a creative person. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Right. So we, we, we hear you describe yourself as a creative individual and I want to continue to leak a little bit more of what you do day to day into the audience as so they can get to know what that means exactly in your context. But then we also talk about perfectionism. And I think there's a lot of people listening that can probably relate to this in a way of saying, yeah, I am perfectionistic, but I know that there's other things I could put out in the world and I either start them and I don't finish them or, you know, I don't even begin it because I can't make sense of it in my mind and I'm not very organized in my own head. You know, where, how do you reconcile the fact that to be creative, things are not going to be perfect and that eventually, if you want something to make a difference, it's going to have to get put out into the world. So at what point does perfectionism not become, you know, some kind of asset that allows you to do high quality work because of the de demand you put on yourself, but really it becomes more of this obstacle where you never get anything done because it's never going to be good enough for you. Right. Well, I see it almost as if, you know, I'm sitting in this room and it's a, it's a really nice place. Uh, there are interesting things there and interesting projects that I've begun uh, creating and I'm working on either one of them or all of them simul uh, simultaneously. Um, but I get so um, so focused on that, so focused on working on those projects that I forget to to go outside and get some air and talk to people about them. And it's almost like I work on these projects for maybe a year without going outside. I'm, I'm speaking figuratively. Um, and then when you go outside and when you meet people, you're almost, almost, you almost get scared because the world has changed in, in that span of time. Um, but you, you were isolated in that, in that place. Um, and that makes you scared. It makes you scared of being judged for what you're creating or who you are or where you live for getting your sort of mind space, space get a little bit messy. 
uh, while you were working on that those things. Um, so you go back inside and you, you know, get scared and you stop talking to people and you just either continue working on those projects or um, or you switch to something else, which has happened to me uh, a lot of times. You know, I would I would get I still do I still get I'll get excited about one project and I, I take it one step. Um, I'll take it somewhere, you know, I'll create something and then to take it to the next level, it requires more work. It, it requires actually getting things into the world and uh, talking to people, showing these things to people. And it's, it, it's scary, man. It, it gets scary. Um, no, I, I think I can, where I want to go deeper with that still is when you say it goes scary, what are some of the narratives you, you say internally? Like I know if I'm transparent, you know, I often talk about before I was hospitalized, if I was training or, or working out myself, you know, I'd get on a treadmill or I'd, I'd be doing something else relatively intense. And if I didn't make it another mile, I would have some negative self-talk like, ah, you're not going to accomplish this or that or what have you. I mean, it happens when I work on my, my book. Sometimes we all have this idea, um, or these negative, uh, voices and self-talk that come into our, our heads, right. Which create a narrative. And I, I'm curious, just because some of our listeners may share yours, and if you're comfortable sharing, what what do some of those internal and, of course, hypothetical voices, just so nobody thinks that you have voices actually going through your head, um, what 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 does that perfectionistic voice say to you? Um, I'm personally just scared of uh, people being indifferent to to what I create or to who I am. I'm scared of being um average to to tell you the truth because i really liked uh, you know from the very young age i liked impressing people and i still do where does it, that come not, from though where where are you not where were you not getting that not to psychoanalyze right but like mm-hmm. where where do you think you got that from um i think it was from that time when i you know started school and people i mean it it wasn't difficult for me to be good at school uh, whereas it was for some people, like not to be you know, arrogant or anything, but I was, what's the word? I forget the word. Um, it just, yeah, I, I, it I came stood out. I stood out as a student. That's it. Yeah, but um, the, where I'm going to push back and mm-hmm. having a little, like, it, there's a lot of, I mean, relatively, there's a lot of folks that, you know, they're pretty good. Like, I would have to imagine, like, no doubt you're intelligent individual, very intuitive, perceptive. Um, but there had to be other people, right? Uh, so I'm not buying, and I say this in a friendly but challenging way, mm-hmm. I'm not buying that it was just like, oh yeah, school. I mean, like, what What were you like, the per, were you, did you graduate at like nine? You know, um, <laughs> you know, so like. Uh, no, I wasn't a prodigy. Right, so where else, where else was that coming from? Because it couldn't have been, just been attention at school. Like, what was your parents' view on some of this stuff? You know, did they, did they find, did, did they like that? Was there something that did school not even impress that? What were they like a little bit? If you don't mind me asking, not what sure. are they um, like? Um, I mean, they, they always encouraged me to get good grades and it's not like I would get uh, beaten or anything like that uh, or punished for getting uh, a bad grade. Um, uh, I wish they told me that it was okay to get a bad grade. Um, I wish they noticed earlier that I was a little bit obsessed with the, you wish they had? Is that what you said? I wish they had. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wish they had uh, that I was being obsessed or obsessive about getting a uh, good grace, being the perfect student. Um, I think it would serve me, serve me better in life if I had failed more uh, earlier. And sure. I, I think that's 
that's a really good insight because you talk about, and to give you guys listening a little bit more context, Nikita, and when was this? This would have been November 21st, 2019, you applied to our coalition program, right? Our mentoring program. And still to this day, your application has stood out for many reasons, but I'm going to read an excerpt if you don't mind. You had said, you know, on one hand, I'm incredibly thankful for the opportunity to be employed at a stable workplace for so many years as a newcomer to Canada uh, after you moved from Russia, obviously. Some people are not that lucky. And the flexible schedule allowed me the freedom to pursue all sorts of interests as a young adult. I've sung opera, directed movies, acted on stage, dreamt up a great number of innovative businesses that surely would have taken over the world. Obviously, seeing that tongue-in-cheek, you have a wonderful sense of humor. Had, uh, you know, somebody ever escaped that or had they ever escaped that dream realm. So, you know, given that, what do you mean you didn't have the opportunity to fail? Cause it sounds like you leapt head first into, I don't know if the average listener has sung opera. You know, I think we've all done some, you know, relatively interesting things, whether we perceive them to be interesting or not in our lives, but it seems like you had a lot of opportunities to fail there. So did you cherry pick something Were these things that you were always really good at uh, elaborate on that? Um, I think once I, um, you know, there's a reason why I'm not doing most of those things anymore because once I failed, uh, once I, I would start failing at something, I would lose uh, the passion for it or I would feel like I'm losing passion for it. Um, whereas, you know, that feeling of being discouraged is, is not something like there wasn't anything wrong with that. Uh, I don't think I was losing passion for the thing that I was doing. It was just I hated failing. So I would fail once or twice, and then I would move on to something else. And as that, you know, you're starting that journey and you, uh, you run into the first obstacle and you choose another journey to go on and you never finish anything uh, or you never finish anything really significant, whatever that may mean to you. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it was that. It was once I started failing, I, I would get really discouraged to continue. So we, we think of this now and we were, we have a wide range of listeners, people that are coaches, managers, business owners, you know, what have you from all over the world. And what they're hearing, if they're paying attention, is an intelligent individual that is filled with a lot of conflicting thoughts, strong attention to detail, inherently perfectionistic, sometimes can't get out of their own way. You know, million dollar question is how do you lead somebody like you? You know, if they're working with somebody like you that they respect and they admire that person, or maybe they have a friend in their life that, you know, is is very gifted and they're really struggling to get them to believe in their gifts and and to just, hey, do it, whatever it is. What are some guiding principles or even thoughts you could give them on maybe how to reach somebody like yourself? Mm-hmm. Um I know that's a tough question. It is, it is, because, you know, people are different and obviously there's going to be a different thing for that. Will, sure, will, yeah, will. They, they understand that it's general, right? So, like, yeah. don't worry, we do enough disclaimers, this is Nikita's views only, but the idea is if we're, if we're just generalizing, looking at the archetypical individual that has gifts, interesting thoughts, but doesn't believe in themselves to the point where they put it out and they stymie it before it even gets to the, you know, the, the early phase of, of being integrated and put together, just what are, what are some things you said you wish, for example, your parents would have said, Hey, uh, you can fail. You encourage failure more. Like, so is that something you would say, or at, yes. at the most base level, what would it be? 
Yeah, it is. That's what, that's what I was thinking, actually. Um, what If you're working with a person like that, who's, who you know is like that, or maybe you found that they're like that, um, you have to know that once they fail at something, or I mean, fail is a big word, but if you give them, give them some project or something to work on, and they're not successful right away, they may not uh, say it to you directly, but they're probably beating themselves up one way, one way or or another. Uh, they might feel they probably do feel like you've like they have disappointed you, um, and that as a leader, as a leader, that that would be something that I would tell them: Hey, this is okay. Like we can, it, it's still a work in progress. We can, uh, it's fine. There's no rush. If you fail at fail today, you know you'll be successful tomorrow. guys, we'll get right back to the episode with Nikita in a moment. I hope you're enjoying this. I want to urge you to take a moment and go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. You guys are going to find the five final dates where I'm going to be running our workshops this year. There are going to be no more other than the ones that are listed there in the United States, UK and Europe. Once you guys open up, we are going to get there ASAP and we have some things planned, but go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. There are super early bird discounts, early bird discounts for anybody that's gone through any of my online courses. You get a $180 discount. You can save upwards of $380 to $500 just by registering early. We're going to be in Dallas, Chicago, Seattle, Boston, and Nashville. And I know some of you are like, well, when are you coming to New York or when are you coming to California? Guys, We have new dates posted all the time, but what I'm telling you is these are the last ones we are going to be doing this year. So I'm going to ask you, yo, when are you going to come over to Boston or Nashville? If there's something you want to do and you know you need to work on it, you will prioritize it. I'm trying to give you a respectful kick in the pants. Get to one of these cities, go to artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship and do not miss the opportunity to save money by registering early. Again, that's artofcoaching.com forward slash apprenticeship. For those of you that are strength coaches, 1.8 CEUs. For those of you that are not, you don't need to worry about any of that. We have people from over 30 different professions attending these and we can't wait to help you, meet you and work with you. It's fine. There's no rush. If you fail at fail today, you know you'll be successful tomorrow. Yeah, I, th- I think they can be helpful. And, and guys, it's worth revisiting too. And this is something we talked about in episode 105. And and Nikita, I'd be interested if you if you know which one you are. But we talked about something called the fraudulent five when it comes to imposter phenomenon and what some people talk about as imposter syndrome. And one of these, and everybody can have an amalgamation of them, right? But we have the perfectionist, somebody that says this isn't good enough. Uh, you know, I need to set the standard and I'm not going to put it out until it's just right. We have the soloist, which, hey, if I can't do this without help, then I'm clearly not as good as I thought I was. I know that I've definitely had aspects of that. Uh, the visionary is, you know, I can see what needs to be done. I can envision the final project or product, but I just can't seem to get all the pieces together, right? Um, These are people that have the grand vision, but they need an integrator for sure. 
the expert, right? Like again, well, if I really knew my stuff, it wouldn't be that hard. And I think that that hits with people that ever try to write a book um, or if anybody even tries doing a podcast, right? It's so different uh, how, figuring out how to manage the conversations, right? You can hear a podcast and you know a bad one when you hear it, you know, a good one when you hear it. But I, I think sometimes forget that there's a lot of nuance, right? We There are certain podcasts that are more narrative, some that are more conversational, some that are more interview. So I know that that's, that's frustrated me at times. Uh, then there's the warrior, right? Uh, oh, everybody's going to think I'm a fraud, I'm a phony and all these things. You know, just based off of those five, and I'm happy to repeat any of them, which one do you generally, generally most identify with? Mm-hmm. Well, I would pick all of them if I could, but uh, most generally I would identify with the visionary for sure. There's no shortage of uh, genius, you know, quote unquote, um, movies and songs and books that I've thought of in my head um, that were never that never saw the light of day and probably never will. I don't, they might, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's having that grand vision and um, really not being sure on how to approach it, how to begin to approach it and not being satisfied. Like, you know, we get, get so like it's baby steps and all that, but it it's difficult to, you know, take, take those little steps and still be, um, stay on track and being um, satisfied with, with that sort of pace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think the thing that when I think of this and I think of advice I would have given myself or these people uh, that generally go through this is listen, I mean, (laughs) that you're going to bite a bullet one way or another. And it's, it's why they say that, you know, the, the place with the greatest wealth in the world is a graveyard because that's where people lie that, you know, there's songs that weren't sung, movies that weren't made, businesses that weren't started, advice that wasn't given. And so I think you either think, hey, I'm, I'm going to put something out. I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to move on or I'm going to take a new job or I'm going to do whatever. And I'm going to take some heat from that. Uh, and that's OK. Um, or, you know, I could lay in bed one night and realize about all the things that I didn't do. I think also people just forget this idea of a version 1.0 and they they tend to forget that, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward there's a reason all of our phones and our computers continually update, you know, because they're not finished products when they're released. And, uh, you know, it, it goes into something I know that you put on your Instagram before is where there's a journey, there's sacrifice. And that's where I want to kind of transition a little bit is you talk about journeys and you've always been pretty fascinated with storytelling. I think the more I've gotten to know you, the more a lot of that stuff gravitates or your interests gravitate to, to storytelling, the narratives we say. So, you know, these are tied in because you're, we tend to think we're all the main protagonists of our own story, yet really we're the antagonists in many ways. So how, why storytelling? Where did you gravitate towards this? How does this relate in any way to what you're doing now? And uh, yeah, any insights on, on those pieces that might be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, seeing my life as a story helps me come, come to terms with with failure, for sure. That, I think that's the main element. I, I almost see it as like, if uh, you know, if you know the hero's journey, it, it's it's like a circle and it's divided horizontally. Um, and the first, the, the top part is is the known world where you are right now, and the bottom part is the unknown world. And it's where it's where all the challenges lie. It's where you venturing to discover something new and to to change and to transform in one way or another. And I almost see it as like um, you, ha- you have a certain goal 
and maybe you you're trying to lose weight let's say and you lose that weight um and then you're, you you plateau and you try to take the journey again but um you know it, it it stops it stops working for you and I almost see it as like i call it an artifact so once you defeat that sort of a demon or a dragon or you lose that weight um you see something shining in the grass or in the soil and you pick it up and it's a it's a it's a strange object that you don't really know the purpose of um and you take it home with you you take it back to your home from the unknown world to the known world and that artifact that represents to me something that that you haven't tackled on your first trip on your first journey it's something that sets you up for a sequel you know and we all love sequels right that's what makes the story interesting so the next on the next step of the journey you're going to discover the meaning of that so maybe to give you an example maybe you um you exercise consistently you lost the weight but um you didn't really grow any muscle so that was the thing that uh, is not completely clear to you how to do you know, and that the artifact repre- represents that so that sets you up for a sequel maybe that on the next on the next trip you're going to figure that out and then you find something else that you're you haven't um understood completely yet but you're excited to discover and you take it back with you again and you keep going through those journeys and you have to find it it has to be a conscious thing um if you're not uh, consciously seeking uh, seeking something out that that you want to uh, bring back with you that you don't completely understand then you're not going to do that probably um, so you have to seek something out you have to seek um, look for that shining object in the grass to take back with you that's what makes life interesting you know things that you haven't discovered on your journeys rather than uh, you know the, rather than going through your journeys in, in a perfect way and you know losing the weight and growing the muscle and, and yeah that's but, but but that's where I push back on you, Nikita, of thinking yeah, where the hell yeah. was that advice when you were talking to the audience about how to deal with somebody like you, you know, or, or a perfectionist, right? Like uh, that alliterative device, you know, where is that? Because it, it goes hand in hand with something that I posted today. And it's a cartoon, which I know you'll appreciate because you're tremendously skilled at graphics. If anybody's ever looking for any kind of graphic design help or your presentation suck, definitely reach out to Nikita. But we'll talk about that towards the end. But, you know, I, I, the post has a pill bottle and it's straightforward, right? It says hard to swallow pills and the hard to swallow pills that true expertise doesn't come without experiencing numerous failures. That's just how that is, right? Like you can't social media yourself to success. You can't fake your way to success long-term. Somebody's going to find you out at some point. Everybody's going to have to put skin in the game. They are. They're going to have to put skin in the game proactively. They're going to have to put skin in the game reactively. And you're going to have to put your work out there for the world to criticize or tear down. And those who don't do shouldn't teach. And, and, and that's a pushback on something that I heard a lot of, well, those who can't do teach. And I'm like, that. what an awful phrase, right? Because you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to be willing to grow. So why not use that same advice that you just gave or that example of the hero's journey Hey, you've got to, you've got to find, you're going to go through some ups and downs. You've got to look for some artifact, something that is going to help that inciting incident and whatever is holding you back in life or whatever's put you in this tough situation. Uh, it's going to help remove that, or it's going to help bring new light to that thing. Why, why is that still so hard for you as somebody that researches stories so much to, to still get past some of your own stuff? What's, 
what's still in the way? Well, it's because I'm, <laughs> I am fascinated with all that stuff because it's hard for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's that thing. Um, I, I posted it on my Instagram as well. And I uh, use it with my clients. Sometimes that phrase uh, it's because not despite I don't, um, I'm not fascinated with, with those things. I don't um, practice those things, uh, you know, despite um, uh, you know, despite being uh, not good at them, I practice them because I'm not, I'm not very good at them. Sure. You know? Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. Uh, you know, so is that how, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, all right, this sounds interesting, but like, what do you mean? How do I find my story? You know, what, what is that? What does that mean? How, how would you explain that? How would you explain people find their story? If somebody's listening in their car, they're halfway trying to figure out when they need to turn, you know, and, and they still want to listen to you and they, they want to take something actionable away from this. You know, what, what advice are you giving them to, to finding your story? Like, how would you coach them to do that? Uh, I would say start uh, noticing those little stories play out in your daily life. Um, even, even with that, um, you know, uh, you inviting me to, to be on the path on the podcast is, is very much a hero's, uh, journey for me. It started when you invited me. Um, so that started in, in my mind, you know, I started preparing for that mentally. Uh, and right now I'm, I'm, you know, you better be sure I'm fighting that dragon. <laughs> you know, I had to prepare for the journey. I had to tell myself that, um, no, I'm going to forget some. Uh, I'm going to forget my words. Um, I'm going to forget to say something that I really want to say. Um, I'm going to be frustrated with myself. I'm going to sweat bullets. Um, but I'm going to go through that. It's not going to be perfect, but uh, I'm going to go through that. And and I'm going to take away something from that. And uh, that artifact that I haven't really, um, uh, you know, maybe I, I haven't tackled with you during that discussion. Maybe I bring it up on my Instagram, Instagram, uh, on my social media, once I figure out what it is, and I, I'll continue that um, discussion, but with my with my audience on Instagram. Um, so yeah, it can be the those really mundane things that um, <laughs> I can even say, uh, you know, we are recording this uh, podcast uh, you know we were supposed to record it a month ago but then you you got the flu so we had to cancel it and you know man that that first time that first uh, day leading up to our call that uh, eventually got canceled i was so nervous i was so freaked out <laughs> i prepared and prepared i i i had you know so thousands of words of uh, notes on my computer i was so ready and when uh, when you guys texted me that it's not going to happen i was like it was such a mixed bag of emotions. I was like, um, I was relieved and I was disappointed and it's, it, it was so interesting. So today I wasn't, uh, you know, I was still nervous leading up to, to our discussion, but I was not as nervous as before because I've gone through that uh, journey already. So you have to look for those, uh, those journeys, the way they play out in your uh, daily life. You know, every, um, you know, if you use Joseph Campbell's hero's journey uh, sort of template, uh, that, that circle, uh, every journey starts with a call to adventure, something, you know, you get excited about something, you uh, you want to tackle something in your life, maybe uh, maybe it's a project, maybe it's something else. 
um, and that call to adventure is usually fo uh, followed by uh, refusal of call. Maybe you feel doubt that you you have what it takes to do that, but then um, you know you might give up on that from that point, or you might uh, proceed and then you venture in, into that. Uh, unknown world and you start facing challenges and then you tackle the biggest project the the dragon um and you and then you come back to your uh present world and you share your story with others so they can uh take something away from that so it can be um it can even be something like if i tell you to um not you but you know someone in the audience like i tell you do 10 push-ups right now so uh try and be, uh, be aware of what uh, of, the, of the thoughts that come into your head uh, as I, as i as i say that you know you some of you are probably thinking well i'm not going to do that that's just not something <laughs> that i'm interested in doing uh, right now so that's the refusal of call and some people may say okay yeah i'll i'll do that and so you go through that journey and the those 10 push-ups are the dragon and then you uh, maybe you take something away from it. Maybe, maybe not. So, but that's a, that's a journey as well. So, so I, I think know. about this within the context of that, just to gain more clarity, you know, I have to, I have to write probably about 10 to 12 pages tonight of a methods and methodology section for my doctorate. Right. So what you're telling me is when I'm doing that, or when I sit down to think about the things that are in my head, well, what, what's in my head is I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to mm -hmm. sit down. I, I'd rather be running the workshops than constantly writing about the underpinning framework. Uh, or I'd rather be talking about the underpinning framework as opposed to sitting down, you know, in a stationary sense. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying when you're doing anything, right, like pick out key moments and think about or reflect about what you're thinking about in those key moments. It sounds like what you're talking about a little bit is just being mindful or being present. Am I misinterpreting? No, that's correct. And yeah, if, if that journey means something to you, if it's really meaningful, then yeah, you're going, you're going to have to be mindful of all those things that you're going to encounter on that journey. Yeah. So, you know, like for, if, if you think about it from a communication standpoint, right, we, we tend to think about our messages and the messages we try to get across. Well, just like a story, they've got to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Here's what I want to say this is where it's taking the conversation. And at some point, some conversation has to come to, to a conclusion. Now, some people are able to do that better through words. Some people are able to do that better through imagery. Some people are able to do that through another medium. How do you feel you are best able to channel the way you communicate, right? Do you feel like uh, it's a verbal strength? Do you feel like it's more pictorial? What, what is your preferred way of communicating given everything that we've talked about, the constraints you face, and uh, the dabbling you've done. Yeah, um, it's always been mostly the written word for me. I know you hate email, but I'm here to say that I love email. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You don't have to love or hate the same things I love or hate. That's perfectly yeah, yeah. fine. So yeah, I really love that. I really love that I can express all my thoughts in, in uh, several paragraphs. So yeah, the, the written word, I've always been uh, good at that. But um, verbally, it's uh, yeah, it's been difficult. I, uh, we discussed that on um, on the AOC channels app um, that I'm part of. Um, discussed it with Ali and uh, Stephanie Seely. Um, I remember when I first came to Canada. Uh, obviously, I 
it was the the first time I, I was being exposed to native English speakers. And real quick, sorry, Nikita, why did you come to to Canada? Because our audience doesn't have that information, and, and it's something I'd love to be refreshed on in, in general. They heard that you grew up in Russia and what have you, but why why Canada? Where did that trek occur? Um, so I moved here with my parents. They decided to to immigrate, and part of it was because um, of the safety situation in Russia at the time. Um, you know, not to get off track, but I can remember one particular story from my childhood that was probably a one of the major reasons why we moved. Um, so it was I was ten years old. It was nineteen ninety nine, and it was early in the morning. I was just laying in my bed. I was sleeping, um, and I remember waking up and I see this. Um, I look up at the ceiling. And I see the curtain, the window curtain just floating sort of parallel to the ceiling and it's like it's floating in slow motion and i still remember uh still remember that image in my head and the next thing i know um my mother runs into my room she grabs me she puts me under the uh, door frame because we've been told that uh, when an earthquake happens we have to stand under the door frame so the you know nothing drops on you from from above, um, but it, it wasn't a, an earthquake, so I was I was so confused. I was just asking my mom, "But what what, what happened?" And she was like, "We've been bombed. Um, it was a terrorist terrorist attack." So the and so the curtain had been because of the force of the explosion and the concomitant wind or or you know gust whatever from it. That's what had caused it to blow. Parallel? Am, am I understanding yeah, yeah, this correctly? Yeah, the, okay. the, the, the blast wave. Yeah, it's just, okay. it's just what I remember. Um, so, yeah, then I see you know, glass everywhere. Uh, the window frame kind of tore, torn off with the concrete from where it used to be. And the doors are broken and things like that. And we, we run to the street and, uh, you know, everybody... Kind of, standing there and not sure what happened sort of confused it was it was a scary moment how old were you so this was a terrorist act that that occurred how old were you i was 10 and is this something that you're i I imagine your parents still have to remember this clear as day yeah i was home with my mother my father was working out of town um at that moment so it was uh, you know i have to i don't think i've asked him like what was running through his head when he I think he heard on the radio that there was a <laughs> there was an explosion and he he rushed back to us. I think he was there in like an hour. Um, so then, uh, I mean, this is a lot to process, right? Something I didn't know about you as well. So how long, you know, after that, did you decide to move to Canada? And then more importantly, I mean, was this just a quick decision? Like, hey, we're out. I mean, did you have to? I, I couldn't imagine that was a a cheap thing to do. I mean, your your family had jobs. There are people right now that have tremendous difficulty finding jobs, you know, just coming out of a pandemic. How do they even search a job, you know, or, or did he work for a large company that had, you know, was a, a conglomerate and an aspect of it in, in Canada? How did, that just seems like a lot. How did that get managed? Yeah, yeah, no, not at all. Uh, my mother wasn't working. My father was, um, um, he was just selling stuff at the time. He was just like an What kind of stuff? Uh, he was selling bikes and rugs and whatever he could. So just hustling, like hustling, selling whatever yeah. he could. It was, it was Russia in the 90s. 
Yeah, he was rushing the night, like what we see. Okay, like uh, like in uh, the Saint with Val Kilmer. Um, it was it Cold Fusion that he was selling. It was. <laughs> Yeah, much. So then he just decides we can pick this up and go to Canada and do the same thing. Why Canada? He, uh, he was uh, selling his car. I think it was a couple of years um, after the explosion. And he was selling his car to, to this guy. And they got to talking. And this guy mentioned that he, he was moving to Canada with his family. And that what, that's when my father started to think about, oh, that that's actually possible. This guy is doing it. So... Let's let's see what that takes us. And it took a long time for us. It took I think six years uh, for the whole process to to come to fruition. So then, picking back up to to the original question, and thanks for going deep there. I, I can't believe you were going to leave that out, you punk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, I got off, off track of that. You, no, we were talking about preferred communication methods, and you love email and the written word. And when you had first immigrated to Canada, and then you know right. that that's where we went. So go ahead. Yeah. So when I first came to Canada. Um, I was, I couldn't really speak the language freely. I wasn't fluent. Um, so I remember being very controlling about my accent and the way I sounded when I did speak. Um, and I remember people like native English speakers commenting on that, uh, that they didn't really hear any accent from me because I, I really tried to sound, uh, Canadian, sound like a native speaker because I wanted to fit in. Um, I couldn't speak fluently, so I tried to speak with a perfect accent. Um, and with time, as uh, as I kind of learned to uh, speak without thinking too much about it, and um, I started understanding people, what they were saying to me, um, I remember starting letting go of that control over my accent, over the way I sounded. And right now, I mean, you could say that it was pretty clear I have a Russian accent or a European accent. Um, but I, at that point, I no longer cared how it sounded because I was able to express my personality, uh, you know, the way it is from just through speaking to people and discussions. Um, and I was able to understand everybody. So I, I let go of that control. And um, I forget what, what we were talking about, but, <laughs> but I think a lot of those things is, that about, is about learning to let go of control when you have to let go of it. Um, and with that, even with that, podcast that I, I mentioned, you know, the first time I had probably overprepared and overprepared my notes. Um, and that got me really anxious. I didn't want to leave anything out. Um, but yesterday, as I was uh, thinking about our, our talk, um, I remember consciously letting go of that control a little bit and just allowing myself to be myself and just to have a discussion with you. And that that just made me smile as I was thinking about it and it got me relaxed and it got me excited about, you know, this opportunity to tell my story to the world and maybe help people through, you know, talking about my experiences. Um, and it's, it's like restrictive dieting, you know, people restrict their diet so much, they hold that control, they hold it, they hold it, they hold it. And their you know, their grip gets so tired. So they have to uh, let go of it completely. And their, their arms are, so tired at that point from holding that control that they no longer can hold any sort of control. So it's like, it, it's finding that happy medium of control um, and not being perfect all the time, but being good enough uh, consistently that um, makes a difference to me in my projects and the way I, uh, the way I think about the way I live my life. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned control. I think I think it would be interesting to get your take on what role you think that plays in perfectionism. Because to me, that's a very clear correlation, right? And I wonder if sometimes people, they say, uh, you know, I'm perfectionistic or what have you. It's really, they're putting a, a different term on something. Maybe they they have trouble relinquishing control. And, you know, we know that that can be a self-esteem issue. We know that that can be a, a number of things. But what would you say to those, to folks that, again, right now they're, and I think of, if you want me to give you a case study and I'll change your name, let's say her name's Bridget, but I'm looking at it literally right now as I'm talking to you, right? And, and she's talking about how uh, she has six kids at home and her time is incredibly limited and she needs to be strategic on how she does anything. And so it's hard enough to gain focus in general with six kids at home. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, but but she's got work that she wants to do. She's got contributions she wants to make. And, you know, I'm not asking you to give advice on parenting. I'm not asking you to give advice on her business. I am asking you just something you would say to a Bridget or a Tommy or anybody, a Bjorn, whoever it is that is saying the conditions are not right. The conditions are not right. Therefore, I cannot create. What would you say to that person? What would be a strong coaching moment or soundbite you would say to that individual who thinks there is going to be this time, or maybe it doesn't think there's going to be, but maybe is hoping and waiting for it. What would you say to them? I would say take stock of things that you, you are trying to control that you really cannot, um, take stuff of, take stock of things that you can control and, and, uh, should maybe control more, um, and see if you pick one thing and see if you can let go of controlling that a little bit and see if anything changes or anything horrible happens. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say to them. Yeah. Well, listen, I think that that might be the message that they need to hear. Uh, you know, Nikita, I, I want to make sure and point people towards the many things that you do and I'll be, you know, I'll be transparent. I think that it's, for those of you listening, and, and we get asked this a lot is, oh, hey, how do you do some of your graphics or what have you? You know, so much of what we do is in-house, but Nikita has been kind enough to come on through a mentoring capacity and some things that we've helped him with and things that he helps us with. He is tremendously skilled at graphic design. And, you know, this has kind of been an unexpected thing for you, right? Like you, you, you first came over to Canada and you had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what was your day job? What was the main job that you did before you got into anything fitness related and whatever else? Could could you give us some insight there before I go on and give more context into what I'm saying? Yeah, I've been on, I've been doing that day job for uh, 13 years, I, th I think now. I uh, work in uh, television broadcasting uh, in a master control room. So if you imagine like a thousand screens in front of you and you put up commercials and things like that, like that, you control the quality of the of the broadcast. That's what I um, yeah, that, that's what I do. Great. Sure. So if, if people have seen, and thank you for going into that, cause it's going to highlight if people have seen the dark night, you're basically Morgan Freeman's character standing in front of all those screens. Um, but, but then you, you dabbled in some fitness stuff and, and really you found a lot of strength in graphic design. I know I've recommended a lot of people to you, what have you, how did that come to be? And if other people listening right now are like, damn, I, you know, I would pay this guy for a little bit of help with graphic design, whether that's my presentations or whether that's some other stuff. How can people find you? How can they support you? What's the best way they can, can even do that? Um, sure. Um, yeah. If I, 
if I can talk about this. Yeah, do it. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So it's a funny thing with me with graphic design and it might help some people as well. Uh, when I came to Canada, I really wanted to be to study acting. But like I mentioned before, I couldn't really speak the, the language fluently. So I kind of opened the, the book from um, uh, the college that I was probably going to go to. And I just picked the first creative thing that I could find. I, I never had a passion for graphic design. I never had anything like that. I, I didn't have a proclivity to, to like art uh, and stuff. But I just picked that because it, it sounded creative. It sounded interesting. And I did that. I studied that for a couple of years. And then I quit it because my heart just wasn't in it. But then throughout the next uh, dec decade or so, I just kept... Uh, doing graphic design here and there for my other projects, like for my for my filmmaking or for my friends' projects and uh, things like that, doing posters and um, uh, greeting cards or or whatever. And uh, it's almost like I accidentally became good at it, <laughs> you know, just from from practicing it. And now it's, it's like this unconscious competence, and I don't even have to think about it. I just. Uh, I can just relax on my couch and watch a movie, and, and, and that's <laughs> to to give you a glimpse of uh, of that process. That's how it. That's a troubling it. glimpse. That's a troubling <laughs> glimpse. So then, where where can people like? How do people reach out to you for this? How can they contract you for this? Uh, they can just reach out to me on my Instagram. It's uh, Nick Mtsov, N I C K E M T S O V. Um, yeah, that that's my main uh, social media profile, and they can just DM me. Perfect, and we'll make sure and put that in the in the show notes. Nikita, I know that this is a huge step out of your comfort zone. I know that uh, you know I, I screwed you up the first time getting sick. My apologies. Really, you know, we'll just play the blame game. I'll, I'll blame my son. I think I've been sick about thirty times this year. Where normally I get sick maybe once a year, um, but it's it's the daycare stuff that's always fun. But I couldn't be more grateful for you coming on and bearing your soul and and allowing me to to jab you a little bit. Uh, at the end of the day, man, this is this is relatable, and there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and, and deeply appreciate your transparency. So, you know, thank you, and I want to give you the final word. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciated you having me on and um, and just you know mentoring me through the coalition and being a you know a good friend and a and a mentor throughout these uh, couple couple of years. It's really been a life changing experience, and I hope. I hope, I hope we can meet uh, in person again soon once the borders reopen and we can just hang out. No question. Well, guys, until next time, Brett Bartholomew, Nikita Emsoff, and the Art of Coaching Podcast. Please, if this or any episode has helped you whatsoever, leave a review on iTunes. We depend on them. We are a small business trying to do good. Tell a friend, share it with five people, reach out to our guests, show them your support. We appreciate you listening and we will talk to you soon.